We're reading this morning, we'll be taken from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 1 for context, go to 16. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives, making us citizens of the kingdom, Father, making us followers of you, making us salt and light, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful to that. I pray that we would glorify your name in the way we live as Christians. Father, I pray for this time now as I uh, preach your word, Lord, be with me, Lord, and strengthen me, uh, that you would be glorified and your people fed. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, my text this morning is focusing specifically on chapter 13 to 16. My title is Let Your Light Shine, and I'll be arguing uh, that the point of this text is our purpose is to live purposeful Christian lives, living purposeful Christian lives so the world will glorify the Lord. We live in a dark world. It seems from uh, the highest office in the land to libraries in our communities, darkness reigns. From the war in Ukraine and terrorists in Israel and Pride Day celebrated in the White House lawn, it seems as though the darkness is getting darker. We have transvestite story time in our libraries, sex education in schools promoting homosexuality gay marriage, gay adoption, Epstein Island, sex trafficking, sex changes, pornography available 24-7, hookup apps, perversion of male and female roles. We don't even know how to define what a woman is. A 50% divorce rate, which is going down only because people are choosing not to get married. Over the past few years, we've come to realize that those who run our government on both sides of the aisle, both parties are thoroughly corrupt. Men caught in bribery schemes and refusing to give up office 
they have no shame. A national debt that boggles the mind. A people who seem, a people who seem as though woven through their DNA that there can be no freedom without the right to abortion. You saw what Ohio just passed? There is darkness all around. What hope does the world have in such darkness? As we look at Matthew here at the beginning, this is no surprise because this is what the world is. It is darkness, uh, the kingdom of darkness, controlled by Satan himself under the sway of Satan, blinded by Satan. Uh, the first couple of chapters here in Matthew, as we, as we see Jesus uh, coming into his ministry, it starts out in chapter 1 with the lineage to Jesus. But that lineage just reminds us that death is always there. It's always coming. And as the wise men go to visit Jesus, this should be a great time of celebration. But King Herod, in his darkness, is seeking to kill the Messiah. And even in chapter 3, as John the Baptist preaches uh, repentance, as the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him, he says, who warned you to flee uh, the wrath of God? Even Even the religious leaders of the time are in darkness. And then he even says it. He says, as Jesus began his ministry, uh, it says in chapter 13 of verse 4, he says, He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and of Tali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through, the Isaiah, through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the peoples were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land of shadow of death. Darkness, shadow of death. It was present then and it's present today. So what hope does the world have? And this morning as we look at our text, I think we shall see that the hope is found in the church. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, I want to see, want to set the setting. It's Jesus, it's the disciples, and it's the crowds. And Jesus, seeing the crowds, he goes to a mountain and he begins to teach his disciples. This teaching is specifically for the disciples. The crowds follow and the crowds stand around him, but he's speaking to the disciples. And he begins to tell them, you, uh, He said, blessed are you, happy are you, fortunate ones. You are the fortunate ones um, who mourn uh, over their sin, who are poor in spirit, who are gentle. The world is not poor in spirit. The crowds are not poor in spirit. The world is proud and arrogant and self-sufficient. Blessed are you that through your gentleness, the world is not gentle. It is aggressive and harsh. But before I get ahead of myself, why is he blessing or pronouncing these benedictions upon the people? Why is he saying you are the fortunate ones? These are the ones that Christ has chosen as his disciples. These are, this is the conception or the birth of the church. And he says to them in chapter, the verse that we're in, you are the salt of the earth. How are they salt of the earth? 
I think that from the text here, he says, you shall not, or <laughs> from the text here, you, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it may be salty again? So what, what characteristic of salt is our Lord thinking of here? I think it's flavor. I think, because he says, if you know, if, how can it be made salty again? If it loses its flavor, how can the taste of it be, be brought back? So I think the focus of salt here in calling the disciples of salt is something in uh, the flavor of who they are, who they are. What are they letting off? And it makes sense, right? Who are Christians in this dark world? When we were part of the dark world, but we no longer are of the world. God has chosen us out of this world and given us a new nature. And that new nature, he's given us new desires and new longings. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're merciful, pure in heart. We desire peace. This is what it means to be salty. This is what it looks like. You are Christian. You are Christian because what if God has made you by taking out the heart of stone and putting a heart of flesh in you? The world does not have peacemakers. The world loves division. The world loves the confusion of division because they use it for personal gain. But our desire is for peace. And our desire is not for peace for ourselves, but for the world and peace with Christ. Blessed are you who are pure in heart. The world is not pure in heart. As I just mentioned here in this list of, of, of the, the attributes of the world that we live in, this is a dark uh, world, nothing pure in it. But, but you are pure in heart, Christian. But the heart that Christ has given you, you have new longings and desires. The, 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 the darkness of the world, the, the delights that are of the debauchery of the world have no power over us anymore. Saltiness means we're merciful. Saltiness, as we live in a world of cutthroat competition, it sees us and we walk in mercy. We have, we, we have mercy even on our own enemies. The world is going to be the world, but you must be distinctly Christian. You must be who you are. This is who you are, Christian. It's impossible for you not to impart a different flavor to the world. You are not of the world. This is otherworldliness in this dark landscape. It's almost as though you were a completely different race of people. Different nature, different longing, different desires. Do you feel the weight of responsibility in this? Because this is what being salt is. It, he, he pronounces these benedictions and fortunate are you, blessed are you. But now here comes the responsibility. You are salt in this world. This is the role you now play in a dark, dying world. Look at what he says to us. Happy are you. Look at the blessing the Lord has given us that we can be happy in the Lord, even in the midst of persecutions. Happiness, joy remaining. 
The world strives for happiness. The world is killing itself to be happy. It's overdosing on, on drugs. It's, it's filling its brain up and going suicidal through porn and everything else to be happy. And God has made us happy. They're bringing us into his kingdom through what he's done through his son in Christ. We are a whole different people in this world. You've got you've to understand that. You've got to know that. We, as we go throughout the world in whatever corner or community or workplace or club, you're to be salty, Christian. You're, you're, to, you're to give off a flavor that lets the world taste a little bit of the kingdom of God, that lets them taste a little bit of God himself. It's, it's their only hope. Education will not fix them. Psychology will not fix them. It, nothing will fix them. The church is what's so desperately needed in this dark, debauched world. In, in who you are as a Christian, what is the vibe that you put off? What is the flavor that you could put off? As you look back in the wake of your life, what are you leaving behind you? What is, the, what is your Christianity? What is witness is it leaving behind you? I was listening to R.C. Sproul uh, tell a story one time. Uh, this friend came up to him and uh, gave him this picture of this whole group of people. And it was, a, it was missionaries, and they're in this land of uh, strong idol worship. And the guy said, <clears throat> R.C., I want you to point out to me uh, the Christians in this picture. <laughs> How can you tell if somebody's a Christian from a picture? And R.C. looks at it, and he said, in 30 seconds, I picked out the Christians. Uh, all the people who had the joy of the Lord being expressed upon their face, there were pictures of the missionaries, those who have been saved, and those who are still trapped in their idol worship. There's no joy in this world. There's no true lasting happiness in worshiping idols. But God has given you joy and happiness in what he has done. You are Christian. You belong to the Lord. Through Christianity, the barbarian has been civilized. The poor have been fed. Orphans have been cared for. Women have been protected and honored. Learning institutions have been built. Hospitals have been built. Wars have been averted. And some argue even this nation was birthed by Calvinistic Christianity. The wake of Christianity through history, we see the influence of it has left behind uh, society in a better place. What have you left behind with the salt of the flavor of your Christianity? This is a mandate and that this is who you are. This is what you must do as a Christian in this world. You are salt in a dead and dying world. You are to give off the flavor of the kingdom of heaven because you belong to the kingdom of heaven. This is your identity. Be careful to remember this. I personally do not like labels. I, I despise labels. I feel like once we put a label on somebody or on ourselves, that they act as fetters or bonds. They, they put us into imaginary communities or they set imaginary boundaries on us in our lives. 
And I think the warning here in 13, he says, you are the salt earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? The salt of the time back in Jesus' day, we have a very purified form of salt. And so it doesn't lose its saltiness. Salt can't lose its saltiness. But sometimes in there, uh, they'd get a jar of salt. And that salt would sometimes be mixed with gypsum or some other kind of element. And it would cause the this, this salt to leach out. And so they'd have a jar of salt and they'd go to use it. And the saltiness is gone. And it would have no value anymore. And so they would take it and throw it out in the pathways. And it would be trampled under foot. He warns us, if you lose your saltiness, he asks, what good are you in this world? What value do you have to the world? If you as a Christian do not impart this salty flavor, this flavor of the kingdom, this flavor of Christianity, this flavor of God, what good do you take warning, Christian? Maintain your saltiness. Do not let the labels of what the world puts on us through, through work or psychology, domestic life even. Don't let them crowd out who you are. You are Christian. You belong to the kingdom of God. You have a mission here in a dark world. Don't let the contaminants of this world leach out your salt. Be salty. Let it come out of you. I think identity is so powerful. That's why I don't like the labels. And I think especially as for us as men, we, we become, we, we go to, through a, to a profession. We do our work. We start to make our identity in what we do, don't we? Because we find value uh, in ourselves in what we do. Uh, the, the type of work, how much we make, the importance of it. And pretty soon we start to live lives according to that identity. Brothers and sisters, you can't do that as a Christian. That's, that's your job. That's how, you make, that's how you make a living. And it's great whatever you do. But first and foremost, you have to maintain, I am Christian. I am salt. We cannot lose our saltiness. Embrace this. This is the danger, and it's, 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 this is an ominous warning. He says, if you lose your saltiness, if the salt loses its saltiness, there's no value anymore. And it's the only value in it is just to be thrown out and be put, become part of the, of the path which is trampled down. Those are ominous words. Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles. When Christ returns and the enemies are destroyed, we will leap out of like calves out of the gate and trod down our enemies like ash, the ash under its feet. This is ominous. This is a weighty responsibility that the Lord has put on us as Christians, as members of the kingdom. So does your life impart a different flavor in this world, in this dark, dying world, in your workplace, in your homes, with your families? Is there something that they get a taste of and it intrigues them? It, it shows them something different. I have a friend. I have two friends, actually. Uh, they work at a facility in the Dalles. 
and uh, both are Christian, and one is much more vocal in his Christianity than the other, and so he's very vocal at church and or at, at his job, and they say, uh, he's told me one day he had a friend come up to him from work, and he's like, I, I need to talk to you more about Christ. I, I need to know more about what you're talking about, and he's like, oh, well, isn't so-and-so in your department? You can go talk to him. He's like, no, I want to talk to a real Christian. Brothers and sisters, the world knows. They, they can spot hypocrisy so well. It's because that's who they are. And when they see it in other people, they know it. So brothers and sisters, don't lose your saltiness. You are members of the kingdom. You are Christian. Live your lives authentically, distinctly Christian in this world. So, if the world can't taste something, if the world can taste something different, what do we do then? Well, what do we do is we let our light shine as Christians. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. They picture a city in the, in the ancient world. The homes, the buildings lit up with candles. It's, it's bright. Think of, you know, there's no light pollution in a, in a world like this. So if you saw a city in that darkness, as you're traveling, that city sticks out. And that city becomes a guidepost. It's directional. We can follow those lights. You are like a city on a hill that's lit up. You are direction to a lost world in darkness. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in a house. It's totally illogical to light a lamp and then put a basket on it. Nobody would ever do that. Nobody would even think that. And God has made you lights. So don't cover your light. You were made to be this guidepost in a dark world. You were made to be, as you live your life Christian, a light that stands out, that shines, that the world can see there's something different, that the world can say, is there another way? You are that other way. You are that light that shows the world there is a different path to take. There is a different direction we can go. This is the mandate in this passage, Christian. This is your responsibility. This is who we are as the church we are salt and we are light. And another thing is when God makes you the light in this world, he puts it in the world. You can't leave the world. You must stay in the world to let your light shine. They need to see the light. We can't go be, join some Christian commune living out in the forest with our light hidden. That's a putting a basket on it. We can't do that. I know right now that the, the trendy thing right now is to get to Texas. Christians are moving to Texas. It's conservative there. It's, it's, it's where they can, they can uh, avoid a dark climate like it is here in the Pacific Northwest. But I submit to you, that's not our call. Our call is to shine brightly where he has planted us, no matter how dark it is. 
And the darker it is, you're going to shine even brighter. That's your purpose. He has lit a lamp with you guys. And he wants you to shine bright. And how does he want you to shine bright? By letting your works be manifest. By letting your Christianity be manifest. By your identity in Christ and how you live according to the kingdom. Your beatitudinal life. Your life of following his word. As they see those good works. And look what he says here. Let your light shine before men in such a way. So he wants you to, he wants you to live and shine this light in such a way that they see it. It's like you're a billboard to the world. I, when I was growing up, Christianity was always taught to be, uh, it's a, religion is personal. It's private. You don't share it. You keep it to yourself. And that's just the polite thing to do. You don't, you don't share religion. But our Lord is not saying that here. He is saying to live in such a way that the world sees it. You are to shine forth your Christianity. You are to live as salt, shining forth your Christianity so that they will see it. You can't hide this. You're not to keep it personal. This is, to, this is for the purpose of, of glorifying God in the world. So our Christianity has to it has to go beyond these walls here. It has to go beyond the Bible study midweek where you go into your workplace, into your families, your, your lost families. They have to see how you live as a Christian. They have to see that your life is going in a different direction because you claim to be a Christian, because you claim to be following another they need to see it. This is the mandate. This is why you are here. I remember, I don't know how many times I've been told or asked uh, since I've been a Christian, I don't know why we're still here. Why doesn't God just take us home? I'm saved. What's the point? <laughs> because there's still more to be saved. The world is dead and lost. God so loved the world. Do you remember that? Do you remember he loves the world? This isn't hard. He says it. I love the world. God so loved the world. And I submit to you that even though this teaching here from Jesus is to the disciples, to the church, look how it starts. Look at verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw the crowds and did this. That's telling. He had a purpose for the crowds also in this message. We like to highlight and focus that he's talking to the disciples and we need to. But seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And there is such great significance even in that statement. Our Lord going to a mountain and teaching. That's what God did, right? With Moses in Israel. When he's establishing Moses and giving the Ten Commandments. And now here as he takes the disciples and goes to the mountain, 
He's doing the same thing as he establishes the church. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are in this dead, dying world, the only thing, uh, the only person that anybody may ever see of the kingdom, may ever see of Christ, may ever taste of the gospel. This is who you are. You don't got to try to be this. This is who you are. You don't have to go and learn how to become a teacher and, or I got to become an elder or a deacon to this. Just be Christian. Be distinctly Christians. Live your life in a manner that you are living to glorify God in all that you do with a heart for the lost. It's okay to have a heart for the lost. We need to have a heart for the lost. We were lost until he saved us. How do we live distinctly Christian? I'm going to pick on my son Judah this morning. When we were in Chicago... And I just, I tell this story to highlight. I think so many times when we think of being good Christians, it's, it's becoming, holding an office or doing this or something official. But uh, when we were living in Chicago, Judah uh, worked for Christ Church Chicago. He got to work at the church that we attended. And as they were doing a remodel project on this building, uh, part of the, the crew that they hired was not, they weren't believers, and Judah was, though, and he was working on this crew. And, and they did that as kind of a ministry and kind of a, a way to kind of reach those guys as they were doing uh, all the grunt work inside the church. And one day, I think it was a Wednesday because I was at the apartment. I'm sitting in the apartment. And all of a sudden, Judah comes busting through the door. I'm like, what are you doing? You should be at work. It's, this is like at 12, 12, I don't know, 12 something, his lunch break. And he's like, Dad... I was talking to one of the guys in the crew. They don't have any money to pay their bills. I'm going to go give them some money, Dad. And um, he ran. The church is like, what, a mile and a half from the apartment? He's only got an hour for lunch. He runs a mile and a half, gets his savings out to run back and help this guy who needs some money. Church, when the world sees us loving like that, they're seeing salt. They're seeing light. And as we, profess, or we proclaim the gospel and it's backed by a life like that, then it means something. You're bringing authenticity to the message that you're proclaiming. You must live your lives in this way that the world sees you. And why do we want the world to see this? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. You're to let your good works be seen. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. How are they going to glorify God? How are they, when you live a life, kingdom living, Christian living, faithful believing, distinctly Christian living, and proclaiming a gospel alongside of it, and they see that, 
That's the message that they need to see. That's what they need. And they glorify God. Who do they, they, who's God? Who's God to the dying world? Obviously, through your witness, they know who God is now. We are to live these lives in this dark world to penetrate the darkness, to save the world, that they would see it. And God is glorified when, when sinners come to him. We must rekindle reformed, Calvinistic Christian. We must rekindle a love for the lost. Look at the empty seats in here. You are light in this community. Last Sunday, we had our business meeting and somebody asked uh, why the disparity in foreign missions and local outreach. And I just wanted to stand up and say, church, you are the local outreach. You are we. The church does not depend on parachurch organizations. The church is the local outreach. You are to reach your community. You are to be the salt and light. We don't hire it out. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? We must do this. You must remember, this is responsibility mandate, Christian living. And we do it with the hopes that the world will see and repent. I want to see the world repent. I want to see my family who doesn't know. I want to see him repent. I want to see friends that, that I come into contact. I want to see him repent. I want them to praise the Lord. I want to see God glorified in their salvation. Do you want to see that? That's one of my biggest prayers. I'm, Lord, please save so-and-so. They are so small in this world. They are nothing in this world. They're the castaways in this world. Glorify yourself in saving these people, Lord. Live distinctly Christian lives, pure Christian lives for the salvation of your family, your community who doesn't know you. Christ came for the crowds. He came to save the world. He loves the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Maybe you're here this morning. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ came into the world, the son of God, the light of the world who directs everybody to the father. He came into a world that rejected him, despised him, and he faithfully served his father here, obeying every one of his commands, perfect in all his ways. And then he went to a cross and he bore the wrath of the world, of, of God, for the sins of the world. And if you would simply put your trust in him, hope in him, you too can have life in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father in heaven, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for making us your people. Thank you for making us kingdom citizens, Christians. Thank you for taking the wrath of God that we so deserve and bearing it, Lord. And now we get the, the joy and the blessing of, of representing you. We get to proclaim your truths and your glories. Oh, Father, help us to, to hold on to these weighty things. Let them burn in our hearts. 
Make us salty. Make us shine our brights, Father, for your glory and the world will be saved. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please stand for a benediction. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Faith Bible, you are sent.